Well, don't you know, we're back to another episode of the Mighty Boombastic Cast. When you hear that name and you see that name, it lets off a hum and it's made out of concrete boulders, just etched out Boombastic Cast. Um, there's wilderness growing around it. When it rains, you get wilderness moss and, and, and beautiful flowers that grow on top of the stones like hair. It's a great thing. And you know what? You're hair with us on the Boombastic Cast. You know what I mean? Heck yeah, heck yeah. It's a beautiful thing. We have Alexander the Hook. How you doing oh, over there? I'm doing good, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing all right, and I'm mad, and I'm with y'all at the Boombastic cast today. We're getting down to jump back into a, in a volume three of a monstrous uh, miniseries, if you will, on the Boombastic cast as we dive into the darkest onset secrets that you may or may not have known. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there's at least somebody out there in the world that has never heard a single one of these things and they're being highly entertained. And, uh, I'm sure there's somebody that, that's heard every single one of these a million times and they're kind of getting upset with the Boombastic cast over the last couple episodes. But fear not, we, we broke it up a little bit with a nice interview with the great Peter Jason. You know what I mean? The man who came to deliver. If you guys haven't checked out that, go onto the YouTube of the Boombastic Media YouTube and uh, catch that episode in video format. Ain't that glorious? That's like that's like some some godly stuff. Only God would be allowed to see something that great. I feel. You know what I mean. So with that being said, I guess we can we can pop off into these movies. You know, get back into these dark secrets. Or Alex, you just came back. I see you're wearing a t-shirt there, which made me uh, refresh my memory. Macabre Mountain. I dig it. I dig it. You know. Heck the, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I just came back from West Virginia. I was there. I uh, I got to uh, uh, be in a great scene with Elsie uh, Holt, Phyllis Rose, and the one and only Robert Mutes. Ooh, All Robert three Mutes. of them heavy hitters in one scene with me. I worked with Robert once. He was a good yeah. dude. Yeah. And of, of course, I do have to say, man, it the best part of the entire experience was. I went up there, I did my scene, I gave it my all, and at the end, Robert Mutes came over to me, he gave me a pound, and he was like, man, that was lit, that was awesome. I was like, yes, awesome. It, it's always good when you get, you know, a little bit of, you know, positive re- reinforcement from people that you appreciate, people that you watch and you grow up watching and, and you enjoy and, and all of that, and, and getting that uh, little pound from him was awesome, so... That was a good experience. Yeah. Now, he's a good dude. He's tall, too. I was blown away. I'm 6'4", and, you know, I, I, very rarely do I ever stumble across anybody taller than me. And that dude had, like, a foot on me. He was, like, insane. Dude, dude, dude I barely come up to his kneecap. <laughs> well, as long as you were a little taller than that, then, you you know, you were perfect for what he wanted you for. Oh, you know I mean? ouch. No, he's a good dude. He wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? He wouldn't do that to the hawk. Take the hawk coming in there. Maybe we went too far. Maybe the police are coming. So before the police show up and start knocking on the doors, uh, let's pop off into this episode. You know what I mean? First up, dark secrets. Ha <laughs> Very scary shit. Uh, you know, Jaws. Magnificent film. You know what I mean? The great Carl Gottlieb wrote it and is one of the actors in it. Um, 
you know, was on the Boombasticast. Go peep that episode too. You'll, you'll love yourself a long time. We, I know I recently went to go see Jaws. They did the 3D, uh, switch over, really switcheroni there. And it was really good. I liked it a lot. You know what I mean? That Quint, um, speech that he does is fucking devastating. You know what I mean? In the boat, the Indianapolis speech. And, you know, seeing it in 3D is really crazy because it's like, you know, the dimension, you almost get the vibe like you're sitting in that boat with them. You know what I mean? And, he, you know, that he just stares in your your eyes, man, stares in your eyes and tells you the deal. And it's always heavy. You know what I mean? Uh, Alexander Hawk, I know you're a big fan of Jaws. Oh, uh, heck yeah. Alex is a little jet lagged, folks out there. So bear with him. If if he nods off on screen, it's not doing to uh, <laughs> pharmaceutical drugs or anything. It's because he's a he's a working man in the acting field, and he just got off his jet. You know, flying in with some famous folks, doing it big. Um, people that move and shake the world. Um, I know you were with some people, some pretty high up businessmen on that flight. They were telling you all the insider scoops and telling you how much they enjoy Behold the Pill podcast. Oh, of course, of course. So the deal with the Jaws is now the beach scene when they find that girl. With that, the scene of her going down was pretty crazy in 3D, too, because it was all, you know, you're in the water right with her. The water line is, like, right at the bottom of the camera frame. So, like, when the water really starts splashing up and down, you kind of get a vibe of, like, you're, you got a, you're a little engulfed in water yourself. So it's tricky. It's tricky behavior, you know what I mean? But uh, supposedly in that scene where they find the body, the remains on the beach with the girl sticking up, uh, the way that they did that instead of a fake arm, they uh, use somebody's real arm, you know what I mean? Which makes sense because I always thought that was a great effect. The effects of Jaws are incredible for the most part, you know what I mean? I think you yeah. just about Yeah, it. And, and to clarify, okay, they didn't go and chop off someone's arm and place it in there. Uh, they actually had one of the crew members. Uh, they buried her up to a point and had a real hand stick out. Um, you also have to remember that at this time, Steven Spielberg was an up-and-comer, but he wasn't at the top yet, which means that, you know, they they had to be a little frugal and a little dancing around with the money books. So when they could, uh, you know, fake things the old-school way, like Matt and I do on a regular basis, so, yeah, sometimes, hey. Hey, sometimes they have to, you know, go old practical, you know, they... Uh, the way of, of, of independent film, like uh, burying someone up to a point where it looks like they're a dead body. And that's what they did on that scene, which is pretty cool. And uh, you know, also explains why, you know, the hand looked uh, a lot more real than uh, a uh, simple fake prop. That's a terrible dark secret, though. That was one of the worst dark secrets, but we didn't want to gloss over it because I did see it in 3D recently, and we had the great Carl Gottlieb on the show, so how could you not talk Jaws? But next up, I know, is one of the Hawkman's favorite films of all time. You know what I mean? Let's hear a little something about this one, big baby. Yeah. All right. Um... Princess Bride, one of my favorite all-time films of, uh, that... I've, I've loved it for, like, ever. Now, for those who, uh, who've seen it, uh, there's a scene where uh, Carrie Ells, who uh, plays Wesley, uh, gets hit on the head with a 
a sword by Christopher Guest, who plays Count Rugen. Now, the story goes is that uh, Carrie actually uh, very, very stupidly actually told Count uh, Rugen, uh, Mr. Christopher Guest, to actually hit him on the head for real, you know, to, to give it that realistic look. And, well, I got news for you. Christopher Guest dead and sent him to the hospital because uh, he actually got knocked out. See, okay. that's what happens when you get hit with a with a with a sword. You want that real thing, and you get that real thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I never even realized that the, the main character in the Princess Bride's name is Wesley, and you're, you have a character named Wesley in one of your films. That is true. <laughs> that is true. I I always uh, always use that as a way of saying, you know. I might not have been in The Princess Bride, but I played the character named Wesley. So that's as close as I'm going to get, probably. If you ever meet Carrie, you can tell him, hey, you know, we were both Wesleys. Heck yeah. You can get like a, you can make, you can make, you can be a fanboy and get like a big picture with you both your characters on it. You both can sign them and then I'll put, I'll hang it up in my office. That sounds good, right? That's a Heck good yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll dress up as Wesley Kalinski and, and go into a convention and get a picture with uh, Carrie Ellis. I'm waiting for Carrie to get his return. The way Brendan Fraser got a return, Carrie will get a return too. They're all—he was almost—they're almost on that same level. He's—he's—he was, he was like the original Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I mean, he did kind of a little bit of a resurgence uh, when he was in the movie Saw. Uh, not quite as big as like Brendan Fraser has has found, but uh, when he was brought into Saw, he uh, was popping a little bit after that. Yeah, uh, now some got some interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, bag. Well, that could have been the end of the movie right there. <laughs> see, see, when you're on on set and you think, "Hey, man." This go for a little thing, a little bit more realistic. You gotta be careful because when you go for that realistic look, sometimes it goes a little bit too far. Yeah. Next up, uh, that was a good one. That was a dark secret one. I wonder. I wonder what you, you know would have been darker if he, Carrie never fucking uh, had dreams again. That was his last nightmare. You know what I mean? And it was finished. If that killed him, that'd be a darker deal. But yeah, still being hits pretty dark, so I'd say that kind of belongs on on a on a, a list for something like this. Now, Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back, um, a snowstorm hit when they were filming the Wampa Cave scene. Mark Hamill was sent directly into the cold while the director and cameraman filmed indoors. So it's interesting, you know. Yeah, actually, it was interesting. Um... Uh, actually, Mark Hamill uh, got into a car accident shortly before um, Empire uh, Strikes Back. And uh, actually, uh, from what I've read and what I've heard, that part of the reason for the whole um, being attacked uh, by the uh, Yeti and all that, and also him being in that like uh, chamber where he has all that scars and all that, was actually put into the film, I think, mainly to try to explain why, you know, he had a little bit of, you know, scars and all that on his face because of a real uh, car accident he had right before the filming. Interesting. Yeah. 
So, I mean, sometimes, sometimes real life hits you with a whammy and uh, you got to find a way to uh, fix it in post, so to speak. I mean, I, I'm curious how, how dangerous it really was. I mean, if it was actually, like, le- legitimately life-threatening, that's one thing. But if it was just like a storm that obviously wasn't going to die, they're right there, they're 100 feet away from each other, it was cold, yeah, but, like, he could get warm during the breaks and stuff, then I would say... Go for it because that, 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 like, you know, like their reason for doing it was like capturing that moment. You know what I mean? It's great production value. Like the, the heavens give you the best thing you're looking for. You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, it's like the, the, the whole thing when, you know, he's found and, uh, and Han Solo puts him into the Tauntaun, you know? I mean, that's the safest place to put him because, uh, everyone knows a Tauntaun is just Luke warm that's true oh my goodness joke man hey, hey i only say it how it is are you alex the joke man marling heck yeah you're a good man then all right next up on the docket uh phil i'm gonna let you take this one because you were a star of a film that people often get uh mixed up with this film okay okay yeah. groundhog day groundhog day is a good movie uh and uh, it was the beginning of the the beef with Ramus and Bill Murray for a long time, right? But they didn't wrap up until he pa- almost passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I was I was That's hearing... a dark secret for people that they might well, not know. Well, actually, um, one of the funny things, yeah, uh, which which isn't uh, it isn't the uh, dark secret, but. Uh, I think uh, ties into even a darker secret is the fact that the uh, one of the reasons I think Bill Murray and Held Ramis had a big issue and a big fight on Groundhog Day was Harold uh, realized when dealing with with Bill that by the end of a shoot he always be, became cranky and you know harder to work with, so he made sure. That he shot like all of the uh, uh, early stuff at the very uh, the, no the yeah the early stuff he shot at the very end of the of, of the filming schedule and all the early stuff I mean later stuff in the in the movie he shot first because as you can see at the end he's happy he's energetic and all that so he shot all that so. When you see him as, you know, in the news uh, station being an asshole and all that, that was shot at the very end of the film. And from what I heard, Bill Murray had a, had a big issue with the fact that he realized that Harold Ramis was handling him, and he didn't like being handled in that way. I can and, see both of their points. That's actually really that's like good insight because, yeah, Ramis was kind of – They've worked long enough where Ramus knew him enough where he could he knew him so well that he could know that with him. But then I could also, which is a great tool to be able to have as a director, but I could also understand Bill Murray's a- aspect of now the director is kind of breaking the wall down and going into my real life and using my real life against me in a way, but for the better of the project type deal. Yeah, yeah. It's I, interesting, yeah. Yeah, so... And, uh, but, but, I mean, the, the, uh, thing, the, the, uh, dark, uh, secret in this was the fact that, uh, Bill Murray had an issue with another person on set. Okay. 
And that issue oh, yeah. was Mr. Phil himself, the groundhog, who actually bit Bill Murray when he was handling it. And because of that, he had to get rabies shots. But then again, I mean, are you really surprised? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, at the time, because if if what I read is true, probably all of that stuff with him and the groundhog and all that, which we see in the beginning of the film, was shot at the end. Yeah. So probably you can also figure out the fact that at that time he was more annoyed, upset probably with Hal Dramus and also mm. being kind of manipulated. So he maybe start handling the groundhog a little bit rougher than he should. And then the groundhog didn't appreciate it, so he decided to take a little chunk out of Bill Murray's finger. Bill Murray had to get a rabies shot, and the ground had, groundhog had to get a buckshot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he became ground chuck. Yeah, he became ground chuck, man. I can only imagine they, you know, I don't think they would put, I don't think they would put the same groundhog back with him. I, I get a feeling, and Bill Murray would be super pissed. Now, I'm not going to say Bill Murray is going to say, say something like, I'm not going back on set to kill that groundhog and get me another one. I don't, I wouldn't say something like that because I don't really think that's true. But, I could definitely be, see him have, being upset because he's getting bit. Dude, that would hurt. Like, they're, they got pretty big teeth. That was probably a very oh, painful yeah. bite, dude. Like, you think about that. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Nah, man, I'm down. I, I wouldn't be down with that either. That's horrifying. It kind of goes into the Candyman deal where he should have told them, if I get bit, you got to give me 10 grand to bite. How fucking Tony Todd got bit, what, like, 50 times or something like that at a thousand dollars. Something like that. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think Bill Murray, uh, got that in his contract. So, uh, he got bit for free on that case. You know, the kind of thing you want to think about going into it before where, you know, if, if, if Harold set up the shoot or production set up the shoot, at a time with with the groundhog knowing that Billy was going to be testy and the groundhog was testy and maybe those maybe those two had beef on set and Harold well, didn't. Yeah, maybe maybe that was the uh, thing that uh, that actually broke down where you had Bill Murray just you know totally lay into Harold Ramis about that. And I mean, I don't know what was on set, but that is a very high probability, especially that would explain why he didn't talk to Harold for so long. Because, I mean, like I said, if you get into the uh, uh, psychology of the aspect, uh, you have, you know, a director who's definitely setting up things, uh, which, you know, is, you you can argue is manipulating Bill Murray into the way that was best for the project. Yeah. And... And, of course, Harold probably didn't even tell Bill this. I mean, Bill probably figured this out. And, uh, of course, you got Bill agitated by probably, in his mind, being manipulated. And uh, you got that tension, the fact that it's near the end of the sh- uh, shoot. He's uh, dealing with an animal, and he might have just, you know, grabbed it the wrong way, and it bit him, and then he was, you know... He started then yelling at Harold for, you know, being bit and then ha- having it going for a rabies shot. That could have been the uh, the beginning of uh, the end for the two of them. Interesting. 
You know what I mean? Rest in peace, Harold Ramis. Yes. Uh, iconic. All right, next up, a film I've never seen, but I think you might have seen because I think <laughs> you're I think you're a fan of this franchise. Uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Yeah, I mean the thing is that uh, if you're watching Harry and the Deathly Hollows, uh, you probably noticed that there was a a character that had been there from the beginning that uh, suddenly changed. He was, you know, taller and uh, and uh, played by a different actor, uh, the uh, actor behind Crab, uh, who had been one of uh, Malfoy's, you know, goons from the very beginning, wasn't in the Deathly Hollows. And, of course, I mean, I noticed that, and I was like, you know, why did they suddenly decide to switch him out since he had been through all the other ones? But it seems that uh, the actor himself, unfortunately, got caught with illegal substances. And because of that, he was fired from the Deathly Hollows set, and another actor was brought in to replace him. So, I mean, so if you ever wondered why old son that the, uh, one of the goons that always hung out with Malfoy suddenly changed and was played by a different actor, that is why. Because Crab got caught with some crap. <laughs> or something along those lines. I, it was weed. If he was growing, if it was growing stuff, it had to have been weed. You know what I mean? Which nowadays wouldn't be an issue. So it's kind of unfortunate that it fucked him that hard. Unless he's growing like poppy seeds, making some heroin or something. I don't know. I think I, my guess would be uh, exotic fruit or fucking marijuana. You know what I mean? That'd be my guess. Now, do you know if this dude ever went on to like do other things or was this a rap for him? Period. Um, Honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh... I'm trying to peep the IMDb yeah. real quick. But I don't uh he looks like like a yeah, like a teenage Matt Fisher dude. <laughs> Can't hate on the dude. I gotta uh give respect over. Let me see here. Yeah, they fucking like X nade him from was he fired from part three? Or he or after part three. Well, I mean, he was, uh, from my memory, he was in all the episodes up to Deathly Hallows. Uh, I think Deathly Hallows was the only thing that, okay, Jamie uh, Waylett was the actor who played Crab. And uh, I do believe Deathly Hallows was the uh, last one that uh, he, uh, that, yeah, he was uh, from the very beginning. He was from the very beginning all the way through uh, the Half Blood Prince, which was the movie right before Deathly Hallows. And uh, unfortunately, he does not have any credits after that. Also, like, how old? This kid can't even be 18. So if they found him in his house, wouldn't that be on his parents or whatever? What the fuck's going on here? Or imagine if it was the parents and he just got fucking his career ruined over it. This is uh, this is pretty fucking dark. This is a dark one. This one is pretty fucking a dark secret that is pretty wild. Because I, I, I feel for this dude if it was or wasn't his weed to begin with. Um, and then the fact, oh, that's fucking rugged. That's rugged, baby. He had a good thing going for him. He was in multiple Harry Potters. I don't know why he's not starring in Boombastic Films Productions. Truth mm-hmm. right next to Alex Hawk. But... Um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't see. I'd be curious to see what this dude's up to nowadays. If he's working, you know, probably working a regular job and shit, or maybe fucking, maybe around 2010, he took a hang time. You know what I mean? You never know, dude. That's fucking, that's a tough cookie when you had to have known being in those massively successful films. And you're riding high as fucking, you know, because you're like, I'm, it's, I'm living the dream, and it, it's only getting better. I'm this old, and I'm, I'm going to do this movie and that movie, and I'm going to do that and this, and then I'll do directing too, and then I'll do that and the other thing, and I'll produce, and I'll do the other thing some more. It's like, I feel like this dude's had, my, his future was made up. Like he had, a, he had a plan. This this brother had a plan, and. That he got bothered with those marijuana leaves, dude, and fucking that ruined his whole life. Or who I won't say ruined his life because he could be happy now, but that definitely changed the direction of his life tremendously. Uh, from who who knows what he does now? I'd be very curious to see, but he's probably not. You know, it's a weird deal. Maybe when there could be a blessing in disguise too. Maybe the fucking after the Harry Potter movies were over, he would have went into a depression. Uh, but maybe he went to, he probably went to that depression because of the fucking losing the Harry Pod. So uh rest in peace to this dude, whatever his name was. Well 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 he he's not dead, at least by the records he's not he's still 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 walking around. I mean uh, what, good, 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 good. what what he's doing, I don't know. I mean I'd have to do research, but uh unfortunately uh Jamie uh Waylet, which uh is the actor who played uh Crab, I mean, looking at IMDb, it looks like less acting. He does have some, like, um, uh, like self credits, like uh, for interviews and that kind of stuff. About Stints. Harry Potter? Yeah, all about Harry Potter. So, that I can tell. So, I, maybe, uh, I, hopefully, you know, he found something else or that, you know, he might just be taking a break, come back at it at a later time. I mean, when things like that hit and kind of derails where things are going, you never know exactly how how, how things are going to turn out. But, uh, yeah, it definitely sucks when you get, you know, busted uh, for, for something. And then whether it was his or not, it's still young guy that age with a whole future ahead of him and then, you know, suddenly just dismissed without a second thought. Um from from uh, such a big franchise like that, yeah, that's uh, that that's a real kick in the balls. That's definitely a hard one for sure. Yeah. Um, my Timothy Spall, my boy. If they got rid of him, Wormtail. If they got rid of him, it would have been devastation. I would have had to do riots in the streets for him <laughs> and stuff. I always forget Patterson was a part of that. Like I said, I never got into that franchise. One of these days, I'll get into it because I know it's so beloved. And um, well, right. my 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 advice is read the books. The book I I as as a fan of the, the books, and, hmm? those original pr- prints of the Harry Potter books at one time were like super fucking expensive. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the thing a is lot that of people the, have them. Yeah, yeah the, the books themselves. I love, uh, they're really good. I mean, the movies, I got my problems with them because, I mean, I know you can't put everything in the book in the movie, but some of the choices to keep in some, uh, I consider, you know, filler in, yeah. uh, for, because they're more thematically cool to look at than actual plot. 
bugged me in a lot of the episodes. Yeah. Well, I like I said, one of these days I'll actually get into them, but I'm not. I'm not too familiar with them. I know people love them. All right. Next up, West Side Story. All right. Yeah. Inf- yeah. Inf- infamously used brown face on the Puerto Rican characters. That is, yeah, that is. Nowadays, that's a no-go. I mean, back in the day, I guess it worked for him for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, I mean, you go back and you watch films uh, from a different era. I mean, there's a lot of choices where, you know, they took, I mean, even, I mean, even when they had actors themselves that were either uh, Puerto Rican and all that, and weren't as as brown as as they are in the film. They had added more more makeup to them, I guess, to fit what I guess Hollywood considered looked more Puerto Rican. And unfortunately, that's the biggest problem with Hollywood is that Hollywood has this uh, idea of what certain people should look like or how they should act and all that, and because of that. They try to make them fit the stereotypes, which was one of the biggest problems, like when the original West Side Story came out. I mean, it's good to say that nowadays that they are trying to, you know, try to get rid of a lot of those stereotypes. But unfortunately, those stereotypes uh, were, were very prevalent during that time. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, you think there just wasn't enough Puerto Rican. Actors? Well the, well, the thing is... So now, just straight up, I hate saying, or you think it was because of logistics? Well, here's the thing. I mean, uh, I'd have to do research, but I do believe that um, so, uh, 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 most of the uh, Puerto Ricans in there were actually Puerto Ricans, but I don't think that... I think Because Puerto Ricans, like everyone else, come in different shades. Okay, yeah. and and same thing with all kinds Nothing of different ethnicities. <laughs> funny, right. different ethnicities, and I think that they thought that they were too, uh, maybe too white looking, I guess, or something. Um, Italian, but honestly, I don't know. I mean, I don't know all the the people who were in there, and uh, unfortunately, Hollywood has always been known of not only whitewashing ro- roles. But when they don't think or don't want to take the time to try to find talented people of the right ethnicity to play the role, they just, you know, they take these shortcuts. They'll, they throw some uh, makeup on, like, okay, they look close enough, and then they go from there. Unfortunately, it's one of the biggest problems that we have in the entertainment business is that everyone wants to take shortcuts and don't want to take the time to actually try to cultivate different people of different ethnicities with talent. I'm with you, Bubba. I'm definitely with you. All right, next up, The Wizard of Oz, the family classic, you know what I mean? Which, I mean, there's so many dark secrets to this one. Um, You know, of course, you got the the dark secret of, you know, uh, the hanging. That's probably the biggest one. You know, I, I guess it's never really officially been proven to be true or false, but I will say, you know, there a lot of the cut. It's been cut. 
there's a lot of cuts of it out there with or without it, I feel. And I did at one point see, like I've seen, I've seen stuff that looks like, you know, um, like birds, like they say that it's birds in one. And I've seen like, I feel three versions of it. And there's one version that I've seen that actually looks exactly like a munchkin hanging himself. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that was something somebody did like later in life, like, like people that wanted to kind of build to it, which if they did a magnificent job, but I mean, this day and age, I'm sure you could. Um, but like it's darkness, you know what I mean? And then Dorothy herself, all the, the, you know, the alcohol problem, she died young from drinking and shit. Auntie M, Auntie M is the most horrible story of them all. I think Auntie M, she put up, she took a bunch of sleeping pills and put a bag over her head because she wanted to leave, you know, and she wanted out this place. And she got out this place, you know what I mean? A lot of dark, dark stuff with this movie. Um, But another one, you know, you got uh, second-degree burns to using asbestos as snow, you know what I mean? So you got that. uh, Yeah, that's always nice, you know what I mean? It's always fun. Yeah, Uh, um, I mean, also, I mean, you look at, for example, uh, in this case, like Jack Haley, who was the Tin Man, yeah. Uh, they use aluminum paste to achieve his metallic look. Mm. And because of that, the stuff eventually uh, seeped into his eyes, causing a pretty serious infection, and he had to undergo surgery as a result of that. Um, also, another one is uh, the Wicked Witch of the West, uh, the, in, uh, the famous scene where there's a big fireball and she gets pulled oh, yeah, down. Yeah. Uh, there was a uh, mishap, and she actually got caught on fire and got some major burns because of that. I remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah. I no, mean, un- yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of times, and this is going back with what I was saying earlier, that Hollywood believes in shortcuts. Okay, anything to save a buck and everything to make it look good, not really worrying about what the result happened to the actor, especially during. This time, like, during uh, Wizard of Oz, which was, I think, 1939. Yeah, 30s. Uh, yeah, I mean, the fact is that as we keep on going down here, uh, I mean, things have gone better. I'm not saying things are perfect. There's a lot of things that we have to fix when it comes to Hollywood and the Hollywood machine. But back in, you know, like, the 30s and all that, you know, a lot of times they d- didn't take the time to figure out long-term consequences. They yeah. were like, hey, we have a guy, we need to make him look like a tin man. We have to, so hey, aluminum uh, uh, makeup, that, that'll be fine. Let's just coat his entire face and all that. There'll be no problem. I mean, did they take the time to actually uh, check to see what kind of effect that would have him on a long-term period, and if the guy in his eyes, no, because they were all like, we got to get the shots, we got to get this done, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, Jack Haley has suffered because of it. Tin Man is one of my favorite non-horrific makeups of all time. I put it in probably top three. I really can't even think of, like, ones that aren't meant to make you go, ooh, scary or anything, but, like, legitimate makeups. Even as a kid, it looks so... Because it was so thick and it was so it was shiny and it just had the full metallic feel. I just remember as a kid being kind of amazed at that makeup job. 
Uh, and the way the eye, the blue in the eyes and stuff like that, it, you know, it, it had a funky vibe. That whole th- whole thing about him was funky. And, uh, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. I want to say there was another, I want to say there was a dude that was supposed to play a part and didn't because during the test he was allergic to a makeup. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I forgot the actor, but the actor before, Haley. Yeah. Um, he actually, uh, he had even a, a more severe reaction to the makeup that he actually, uh, you know, started having seizures. And that's why Haley was brought in. Mm. Uh, because, uh, that gave him even more. And, and of course, I mean, when that happened to the other guy, you, you'd think that they would be like, well, maybe this might not be a very safe substance to coat someone in. If we, you know, have this guy, Lily, you know, having a seizure because of this. Mm. But they're like, hey, Haley's not having a seizure. It must be okay. It must be just an issue with that one guy. And, of course, Haley had to get surgery on on his eyes because of it getting in there. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? It's um, also another fun fact. If anybody out there didn't know that if you, you can sync up Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon... To the Wizard of Oz, that's always a fun trip as well, you know what I mean? I think everyone's heard that, man. Uh, and then we'll leave We'll leave this at one with one little other fun fact for people. Uh, the fact that uh, a previous film we talked about, Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz, how huge those movies are, as huge as those movies are, they were both directed by Victor Fleming in 1939. And You know what I mean? They were like, he was directing them practically at the same time almost. And it's so crazy because those are some of the two of the biggest movies of all time. I always found fun in that. I forget, I remember, I forget rather where I gathered that knowledge, but it was for a previous episode of some, of something else on here. So you very might have heard that before if you do listen to the Boom Bastard cast regularly. Uh, if that's the case, we apologize. Now, Austin Powers, huge film. Uh, you know, I remember we were teenagers, late teens-ish when this movie popped. And, uh, you know, it was quite a craze. And then he did that Love Guru movie, and it was like the biggest failure of all time. And it was like, wow, it was like a, a drastic fall. Because even the third, Austin Powers, was a big moneymaker, I believe, and a lot of people loved it. And then he disappeared for a couple of years, and he came back with, I think it was a Love Guru. And it was just like, sorry, Mikey. This one ain't gonna fly, but I like Michael Myers, right. the killer and the actor comedian. <laughs> All right, so well, in, this- in 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 this case, yeah, well, it, Michael Myers actually ended up hiring a killer. Sometimes you gotta. Yes, and yeah. you'll probably be like, "What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What I'm talking about is the actor who played Random Task." Actually, was convicted of voluntary manslaughter and other crimes. Well, this one's a little more. The weird thing with it is voluntary manslaughter. Manslaughter is like when you. It's kind of like when it's not quite murder. It's almost like when it's accidental or like a fit of rage. No, not not a fit of rage, but like a fit of like. Like your mind's blown apart. Whether they'll legally say that okay for that moment of time temporary insanity type shit where like for that amount of time 
you almost get the green the green go because fucking it was such a wild deal. And that's what I think the deal with his was because when you think about it, uh, he killed us. He was in jail for whatever before, and then he killed his cellmate. That's what it was. So what I think happened is I think that him and his cellmate had beef. I don't know who started it. I know who ended it, and that's that's why it's a voluntary manslaughter because I guess he voluntarily went into the fight with the dude but didn't mean to kill him. And I assume that's kind of it was a cellmate, so it was probably over some, I don't know, some personal stuff and fucking that's that. So he what what I'd be curious to see what he found himself in in fucking jail for to begin with. Um, but then yeah, I think he just kind of got into had to have you know it was one of those deals. Well, I don't know. I mean, all they they say in this is he's also been charged with another more gruesome crime that we're not going to detail here. So I can only assume that the other uh, gruesome uh, detail was what what got him in jail to begin with. What what uh, what did you say? We're not going to talk about here. If if you look at at at, at the article, it says he's also been charged with another more gruesome crime oh. that we're not going to detail here. So you can only in, uh, can in, uh, assume from a way that they have it written here, that the reason he's in the jail to begin with is a more gruesome crime. Yikes. Which they're not going to detail. So you can you can argue that uh, um, killing his cellmates uh, probably was the lesser of the two evils. That's what they're saying, too. That's kind of crazy that it's the lesser. It's, 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 it's the... The, the the other one's more gruesome, you know what I mean. I'm sure this he, I'm sure the the crime scene of this was pretty gruesome because you're just going hand to hand. I guess you could strangle him to death in, in best case scenario or choke him, but in worst case scenario, you're probably gonna have to bash his head off like the toilet or something. So I feel like that was probably pretty gruesome. And like Alex said, we're not gonna even speculate on what. The other thing he did is because if it's worse, I can only imagine. And uh, the people that got that probably that was on. There was really no unprovoked reasons for. There was no need for that. Um, I can at least understand fighting with somebody in your cell. You know what I mean? I mean that shit happens every day. Yeah. So we're gonna hit back. We're gone with the wind real quick because we were just talking about Victor Fleming. Uh, and this is a bad look for Victor Fleming, unless he didn't know. But I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know how it goes, but. Uh, this is how sad that this is how sad shit like this was back in the day and how horrifying, you know what I mean? Um, in 1939, uh, when they premiered Gone with the Wind, Hattie McDaniel wasn't allowed to attend. How awful is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, actually, it was interesting. I was, uh, doing a little research on this for uh, another project and, um, Actually, in, in one of the uh, rare instances, uh, Clark C- Gable actually ended up being a pretty stand-up guy. He actually threatened to boycott not uh, going to the Oscars because they wouldn't allow Hattie McDaniel to be there with everyone else. Oh, is it? Okay. And, and the thing is, I mean, if you go into Clark uh, Gable's history, he was a womanizer. He cheated on his wife. He... He was a really nice guy to begin with, but when it came to uh, what I read, he and Hattie McDaniel actually became very good friends 
and he was really strong in championing uh, her for the Oscar and to be considered as equal to everyone else. You know, that, um, that's why the yeah. racial divide is so important to the to the evil people. Because if you just let let everybody around each other and talk it out and get to know each other, everything's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And and the thing is that she actually, you know, convinced him to, uh, to you know, go to this ceremony. Um, there was actually uh, some people had given her uh, crap because of... Um, Saying that uh, because he played maids, because he played, you know, um, those kind of roles, that she was promoting the stereotype right. of of you know African American women. Now she had a great response, and I I mean I love her to death for it. Her response is, I could pretend to be a maid and make seven hundred dollars a week, or I could be a maid. I mean, it's seven dollars a week. Oh yeah. And and I, the thing is that I I was uh, reading an article where you know see uh, uh, her response to a lot of people who uh, kept giving her crap about you know uh, not you know changing things. He was like you know she realized that th- there wasn't a lot that she could do, but she tried to play every character she had with a lot of soul, a lot of um, brains, and and a lot of empathy. And she said that was her way of trying to, because she knew that she couldn't just walk in and say, you know what, fuck it, okay? I want to be, uh, you know, the star, a, a bigger role. And unfortunately, during that time, you know, they weren't given those kind of options, which totally sucked. Yeah. But the fact was that she fought the way that she could, and which was that she she actually opened up her house to African American actors and actresses to you know stay uh, while they're trying to you know make the living uh, when you know it was hard for people like them to find you know actual decent places to stay in Hollywood. Hmm. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a tough fucking situation. And, and the fact is that she did, I think, the best that she could. And she is the first African American woman to receive an Oscar, which you have to, I mean, I know that a lot of people are saying that, oh, because of what, uh, how Gone with the Wind, you know, portrays people of color and all that is not, uh, a good way is very stereotypical, but you do have to look at the movie as what's the most important thing about it. It was the first movie that an African American woman got the Oscar for. You can argue about the stereotypes, but she made great leaps and bounds because of that. Mm. And she should always have people's respect for that. And anyone who doesn't is an asshole. I agree with that. I do want to take that back about Victor Fleming because it had nothing to do with the production. It was the, the town, the city was segregated. So I blame the city on that shit. That's foul. You know what I mean? Next up, we're going to put on our full metal jacket and walk through town. I'll take this one because it's my boy Stan. Stan Lee doing a beasel. You know what I mean? But uh, full metal jacket, supposedly during the shooting of full metal jacket, and I never knew this. 
Um, one day there was a herd of rabbits that were accidentally killed. Kubrick was so upset that he shut filming down for the day. I thought that was very interesting. I never would expect, I always assumed Kubrick to be not even really paying attention to anything but the mission and just driving forward, forward, forward type deal. But yeah, I'd love to, I wish there was more, you know, interviews or, you know, he, he liked to record so much. I would love to find out that there was just archives of him just sitting in front of a camera and like telling stories. That would be so great. You know what I mean? Or I'd love to, there's a few books out there that I've yet to read. So I have read a good amount of them, but there's a couple out there. Uh, like there's one that I think is right hand man wrote or like the dude that assisted him. There was a dude that was, I think another filmmaker that he got a chance to work with Kubrick. And he, this, he was so amazed by him that he quit everything and just became Kubrick's assistant and was like his assistant forever. I think he eventually started to, you know, become producer on films and stuff, but I don't know. There's two dudes. There's a dude that, that, and the, the, I think the assistant dude just passed away like two years ago. I, I, I hate the fact that I forget his name. There's a documentary, I believe, on him. But he wrote, I think he wrote a book that I think there was a, a dude that was Kubrick's friend, but was, but was also heavy into the productions of like making that, like as an associate producer and stuff. I haven't read either of those books. I've read the majority of the older books on the Kube. I got to get a newer one. But um, I'd love to hear some of those inside stories about the man. I know a lot about, you know, his style and, you know what I mean, what he liked and his background and stuff like that. But I, I haven't been able to tap too deep into kind of him as a dude because he's very kind of closed off. And, the like, interviews and earlier books, you're not really going to get that because he was still going for that mystique. I think the only chance you're really going to get of seeing who the dude was as a person it's kind of those other books because uh, they knew them. And I don't know how they, the format that they wrote them in, but I'd assume there'd be inside stories. I'd hope. Um, but yeah, the fact that he got, he shut down, you know, the production for a day over the, the rabbits getting killed is um, that's pretty heavy for, for a thing, you know, he, he respects life. Of course, um, a life is a life. So you have to treat it almost as if you let you lost a herd of people that day, you know, when you lose a herd of rabbits. So uh, that's kind of a funky one for a man who's painted to be so hard, you know what I mean? And so dry. And so, you know, let's just get, let's get this done and, and, and uh, you know, hands on and his way. Uh, I just thought it'd be very interesting that that would shut it down. You know what I mean? A production for a day, but rest in peace to those rabbits and rest in peace to the Coob because uh, hope the Coob and the, the rabbits were waiting for the Coob when he got to the pearly gates, baby. That's all I got to say. <laughs> all right. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Glorious film. You know what I mean? Um, you know, one of the things, you know, if, if people don't know, you know, while the film is pretty fun, the earlier drafts of the script were a lot darker. Not so dark as, like, I believe E.T., I believe the original E.T. script was like a horror movie. Um, and there's other, you know, situations in film uh, with that same type of deal. But with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I do it. I can only imagine one of them probably got, like, stepped on and crushed. You know what well, I mean? Um, like, from... they ate one of their heads or something. <laughs> insane. Well, I mean, from what I, I read, it, it uh, was that 
there was actually a fifth kid in the group, and the fifth kid actually got killed in uh, the sprinkler scene, got, you know, drowned or something like that. Holy shit. Yeah, and it was funny because, as, as you can guess, Disney was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just a little too dark for us. We can't have no kids dying in the sprinkler scene. Meanwhile, meanwhile, they're drowning kids in big, big fucking fish tanks in their offices for laughs. Yeah, yeah. Speculation, speculation. Yes, I mean, I mean, the thing is that you got the Disney that uh, that everyone sees, and you got the Disney that no one sees. Mm. I mean, heck, you do have to remember who created Disney: a Nazi sympathizer. So you know, anything is possible. Who made who? Who made you? So, yeah, that's crazy. I think that they were just like, it was too dark. They didn't know what to do with him when they know they couldn't kill him. So, like, let's just pull him out of the script. Let's just get rid of him completely. Yeah. Yeah, so it, so it, it's more uh, family-friendly and less, you know, uh, you know, dramatic. You know, the older brother, on the neighbor older brother, I wonder if he was the first ever on-screen heroin addict because he has he has quite a look about him, we'll say. He definitely plays that part. I like the younger brother, and I like the dad from, like, uh, Quicksilver Highway and all the Max Max Headroom and all that cool stuff that he was a part Matthew of. Matthew Frewer, man. That's my dude. See, so say, hey, hey, Matthew Frewer, if you're listening, we want you on the show, dude. If you're listening out there, buddy, to the Darkest uh, Onset Secrets Volume Three, you shoot us a message, baby. You're on this show like butter. You slide in like fucking melted butter on a big old boiling hot pancake. Slide it down that butter stack. Very nice. Uh, I I even appreciate the second one, which is what, honey? I blew up the kid, or was there, honey? I shrunk the kids too. Well, there was. Um, let's like see. It, no, no, the, there was, the first one was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, then blew Sec- up the kid. second one was Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Six, and then the third I, one was I Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah. I, I wanted to make sure I said that too, because I don't want to lose clout in the fucking Honey, I Shrunk the Kids world universe <laughs> out there. I knew all three of them. Um, I enjoy all three of them for the most part. Number three is kind of bogus, but number two is pretty fucking solid. Um, I remember being pumped to see number two happen and the kids were a little older and I thought that was cool too. And um, the big baby. Yeah. There's some, I wouldn't mind watching that again. There were some moments of that, that I really fucking liked. I had to go back, but uh, also from that era, a kid in King Arthur's court. Remember this? I don't remember actually seeing the film. Um, Yeah. But but uh, yeah, the uh, the thing about that is uh, Kate Winslet was actually instructed to lose weight uh, for the movie, and it actually ended up making us sick. Now this is one of the biggest problems that Hollywood has, and will always seem to have. I think is the fact that you know there's a certain kind of model that Hollywood likes. You know, everyone to look you know perfect or a certain weight or a certain height. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah. And especially for, I mean, for everyone, men and women, uh, but uh, especially women in this case, where, you know, you have someone saying, oh, you, you have to lose weight for the role. And, and of course, women who don't want to lose the role or be, you know, bypassed, you know, go to uh, such extremes to 
lose the weight to keep the role, and and unfortunately, uh, it causes uh, some serious complications. It does. It does. You know what I mean? It's um, you know, the kid in King Arthur's Court was a fun one. It had that the black-eared kid from American Pie as a younger a younger kid in it. Um, I forget his name off the top of my head, but um. You know, he's like a baseball pitcher that goes back in time. Thomas Ian Nicholas, that was his name, I think. But he goes back in time. It, it's 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 out. It's with like angels in the outfield. It's like along that lines of di- that era. Maybe the Little Rascals Disney era when they did that movie. Um, mid mid, I'd say mid nineties, early nineties. Maybe even I'd have to look at some names here, but even pu- pushing back on maybe moving towards late nineties. Disney, uh, the movies they were. I think King Ralph was one of them. I could be wrong on that one, but um, there were all these weird uh, Rookie of the Year. You know what I mean? Um, there are these movies that I appreciated at the time, but probably would not like at all um, anymore. You know, I'd be curious to dive into it. Angels in the Outfield um, with Danny Glover doing it big. I think Daniel Stern is also in Angels in the Outfield, or he might be in Rookie of the Year. He might actually be in Rookie of the Year. Um, yeah, I think he's in the Rookie of the Year. But these are all, like, weird baseball movies. And I think in this, that, that fucking Thomas Ian Nichols, dude, I think is almost in all three of those movies. And they're all, like, baseball. I wonder if he played baseball. That's what got him to him. Because, like, I don't know. But we've talked too much about a kid in kid on this <laughs> court. That's foul talk. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, it made her sick. Uh, and it makes me sick to even hear that story, to tell you the truth. Now, next up, we got Moulin Rouge. I, I wish I knew that song. Itchy, itchy, ya, ya, maybe? No? <laughs> Nicole Kidman was injured so badly that some of her scenes had to be done in a wheelchair. Just like the singer of Rage Against the Machine, currently on tour right now, is performing from a wheelchair for some reason. Yeah, they, she fractured some ribs and uh, messing up her knee. That comes crazy, not crazy stuff, you know what I mean? During her, you know, huge dance numbers that she had to do in the film, it was crazy. Uh, definitely yeah. madness. Yeah, I mean, uh, I whenever you do any kind of uh, film and all that, where you have to do whether it's you know dancing, whether it's you know extreme stunts and all that, you know, injuries happen, and of course you gotta be careful with that. And then, of course, you know, I mean, in this case, uh, I, it's not clear I know what exactly happened, but, you know, she messed up her knees, she got some fractured ribs, and because of that, she actually had to be in a wheelchair for some of the scenes. And, um, and as, as I said before on the show, that, uh, I, safety has to be one of the top priorities. I mean, I think a lot of times you have, People in charge where they're just like, well, you know, I understand that there's a lot of money on every production and people don't want to, you know, go over budget or take longer. But if you just try to rush things and accidents happen, you end up paying more and causing more problems later down the line. So not like uh, athletes where you can just give them some Novocaine and their old kneecap and everything's okay. Well, I mean, I mean, technically, right. you, uh, technically, uh, 
that's what they used to do back in the good old days of the 30s. I mean, um, sure. we were talking about uh, Dorothy Gale from Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. Judy that's Garland. pretty much what Frank they Chaps. did because they needed her up at one point and down at another. So they give her uppers and then downers for her to, you know, uh, go down and then back uppers again. And unfortunately, I mean, when you try to live your life doing that, you know, you don't last long because your body can't take it. Hmm. I mean, in this case, uh, you know, obviously Nicole Kidman ended up actually, you know, hurting herself quite a bit. And, uh, but was able to at least, you know, finish it. And, uh, I hope that she didn't have any lasting, uh, problems because of those injuries. I mean, that's always the question you have to ask yourself. It's less about the pain you're feeling now, but how this is going to affect you long term. I think her career leaked out of her after that. Cause I can't really think of her going into anything else bigger after that. It was kind of a decline. But I'd have got no beef with her. Now, The Bridge on the River Kwai. This is a movie I've seen a little later in the game, but loved. Thought it was really good. Um, one of those crazy, you know, the war, war. it's a worry movie, you know what I mean? But it's a fun worry movie, you know what I mean? You don't want to get too banged up on it. David Lean directed sure. it. <laughs> you yawning over there? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. You're a madman. William Holden's in it. Uh, Jack Hawkins, Alec Guinness, James Donald, Jeffrey Holm. Sasu Haikawa, I think is how his name was. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I yeah. don't know for sure. But, uh, you know, in a movie like this, it's all about them blowing up a bridge. You know, they're trying to beat some people to some enemy to a bridge, I believe it is, before they can cross over. Uh, well, cross, yeah, I mean, the thing, was, yeah, the thing was building this bridge so they could cross over and get supplies. And, of course, the the whole thing was trying to, you know, uh, uh, you know, blow it up, and the Japanese had prisoners of war to build the bridge, uh, which uh, uh, which is pretty much the entire story. Now, the director uh actually nearly died when he fell into uh the river current uh during this film, and uh, he was actually luckily saved by Jeffrey Horn, uh, who just uh jumped in to you know uh grab him and pull him out. And, uh, unfortunately, I mean, when you are shooting in, like, uh, the jungle or different locations where, you know, nature is a big issue, uh, during the film set, anything can happen. And you gotta be careful. David Lean was leaning a little too much and he went into the drink. But they saved him. Yeah. They popped him out. All right, next up, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Um, I believe Kidman was a part of those, I think. I could be wrong. Now, the issue with this, which i never seen, um, but swearing was so out of control on set that they brought in a swear jar. Oh, my goodness, that's so dark. <laughs> that's so dark and so crazy. I thought they was going to say there was a romance on set between the gold boy and the little girl or something. <laughs> that, 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 and and you know who was the goat boy, right? The goat boy ended up being um, the dude from M. Night Shyamalan. What's up? The, what, the fucking. And he's in the the pig. He's in uh, the adapted. Oh, man, don't tell me it. I don't know his name, but he was in. There was a, a book called. They made a movie of it. 
I know. Let me see here. I know the name, the dude's name. Uh, I, I'm going to just let him just struggle because uh, this is too much fun. I moved around my book, so I can't even see it, dude. It's killing uh, have you given up? Yeah, I don't know the actor's name. I know his um, face. I know what he's in. Okay, I know he's the okay. Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give well, me his first I mean, name. Give me his first name. I'll know his last name. James. Yeah. And you still have no idea. Give me his, give me his last name and I'll know his first name. <laughs> I do know it. I just got a brain fart right now. McAvoy. McAvoy, because I really care much. James McAvoy, you know. Uh, Professor X. Uh, and let's see. He was in Night Shyamalan Splits. Yeah, Split. That's what I was going yeah. for. Yeah. He was, yeah. What so, was the just, one he did with the cop one? It's based off of a book. I read the book. I'm, 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 I'm Are you talking it. about Phil? Phil. Yeah, Phil. So big on the cover of it. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, there was a period of time in my life where I was hoping your boy was going to get a chance to direct that movie. Obviously, that didn't happen. You know what I mean? Well, anyway, I guess James McAvoy has a potty mouth, and he couldn't stop himself from swearing like a sailor on set. Bad James, bad James, you should know better. Do not say bad words in front of little girls. That is wrong. I've heard potty mouth, he used a potty mouth in another way, too, actually. Mm-hmm. That's a dark secret. I'm not saying he likes people to go to the bathroom in his mouth or anything like that, but he might like people to go to the bathroom in his mouth. So next up, we have a film... Some of you may know called the Ten Commandments. I just broke about ten of them fucking with that last statement I had about potty mouth. It's terrible. Um, you know, the Ten Commandments, gigantic, epic. You know what I mean? Uh, almost a four-hour venture into the Bible. You know what I mean? Now, the director had a heart attack and nearly died. He returned to set after two days against the doctor's orders. Because he said... I'm not letting somebody else come in and finish this movie and take all the credit for it. I will die before that happens. And I don't blame the dude because they would have brought some lackey in there and fucking CC DeMille, uh, iconic director would have directed an iconic movie that they would have gave credit to somebody else. So I don't blame the motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that sometimes that, uh, yeah, the fear of losing your baby to someone else is more fear, uh, more uh, fearful than the fact that you might die. So, in this case, the uh, director was like, "Screw it! If I have another heart attack, it's going to kill me, but I'll be at least on set." Very nice, very nice, very scary. Next up, we have Romeo and Juliet. Um. That was the Baz Luhrmann film, which I actually really liked. There's a lot of style in it. I've actually been contemplating rebuying the soundtrack. I had it, a cheap version of it. I don't know where it went. It had a, the end song. It was a song called, like, We're Sunblock or something like that. And it's like a weird remix uh, with just a bait, some beat and some, uh, like, a, like, a voiceover type deal. And it's all about a dude telling you not to kind of worry about life and just kind of try and appreciate it because one day it won't be there. And um, it's a quite a beautiful song. 
And then I, I guess it's only released on a certain edition of the soundtrack, which is the darkest sequence of the whole entire thing. If you go buying a certain soundtrack, it ain't that great of a soundtrack. So, like, <laughs> you know, you kind of want that song, you know. But the film has a lot of style. I liked it a lot. Um, I remember hey, my uncle- hey, Matt, Matt, Matt. Yeah. Hey, dude, what do you think is the most dangerous role on a set? The most dangerous role on, on the set? Yeah, on on the film set. What is the most dangerous role on the film set? Dang, I mean, anybody that has the a stuntman, probably. Oh no, no, no! Hairstylist. Oh yeah, you gonna yeah, yeah, because a hairstylist in this case got kidnapped and by a gang and was held for three hundred dollar ransom on Romeo and Juliet. That's pretty bad. That doesn't happen every day, though. Stunt yeah. men and stunt women, I think, mainly have the hardest of j- jobs. You're getting shot at. You're getting thrown out of windows. That or- is true. That is true. And I have a lot of respect for them. But in this case, in this case, they didn't get kidnapped by a game, but the hairstylist on Romeo and Juliet did. I mean, honestly, uh, that that is that is definitely a movie within itself. And uh, Lerman had to negotiate and pay a ransom for the style's safe return. So, oh my God, that okay. must have been interesting. It's like, um, Mr. Lerman, uh, we got a little problem. Our hairstylist just got kidnapped. Uh, we gotta negotiate her release. Three hundred bucks. That's a joke, though. You know what I mean? It's almost like uh, they were playing around and. Somebody said, "Oh, three hundred bucks," and he said, "Okay, okay." Well, I think I, well, I actually, what I, I think that her addictions, I think that hairstylist addictions held her captive, and they held her hostage, and they said, "You need to give me three hundred dollars so I can go get high, and then I'll come back and do my job." I think that's what the the, the that was. You know what I mean? But don't tell the public. That's purely <laughs> speculation. Um, three kings. Three kings, three, of the- three kings of glory and I. I've been given this movie twice randomly in life because people didn't want it. Um, David O. Russell directed it. You know, he kind of David O. Russell's got an interesting career where he he takes no shit but gives a lot of shit, from what I hear. And uh, there's like famous video of him out there yelling at like Meryl Streep or Susan Sarandon, like some famous actress. He's just like giving them gigantic portions of shit, uh, like a madman, like a spoiled kid, sounded like a spoiled kid. Supposedly he he went to rehab on his his attitude and fixed himself, and then Hollywood let him become a bigger star when you know like American Hustle and. Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't you understand? When you're part of the, you know, golden circle, you can do anything. Just ask Harvey Weinstein. Hey, now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it got so bad uh, that George Clooney had to step in when he verbally attacked an extra. You know, he was being foul in this film, of course. And uh, so much so that yeah, he physically fought with the director, man. So, George, so Clooney. Jo- George Clooney, Mr. X-Batman himself, he came up, he took off his utility belt, and he beat the shit out of the director himself, Mr. O'Russell. Now, actually, from what I hear, that 
there weren't any lasting injuries, but he did uh, did put uh, Russell in his place. Well, I heard that not only the, the AD quit, because the AD must have been the one getting annihilated. And I guess that he snaps whenever he, like, out of nowhere, which he, is either drugs or a mental issue. And uh, he got in Clooney's face and tried to fight him. No one got hurt. Uh, but, yeah, Clooney let the world know. Clooney, in an interview, Clooney said it. So uh, my guess is they probably never worked together again for multiple reasons. Um, yeah, I all, whenever I hear that, I always go, dag. That's kind of shitty that people got to be fucked up to other people at the Especially at the top, when it's like you have you're living your dream. Like, why be angry? Just be yeah, happy. And I, do what you got, you're, you're lucky enough to do. Well, I mean, that's the thing that always pisses me off is when you're dealing with people that are doing stuff like this, and they decide to be fucking assholes. It's like, dude, listen. If your life is so bad that you're doing a job that most people would kill to have. Yeah. And you have to take it out on someone else. I got news for you. Maybe you should fucking quit your job and become like a night security guard because then no one would give a fuck about you. Well, usually people that act that way are people who wouldn't have to work and don't work anyways. They're usually kind of on the spoiled side of things that don't really know how to communicate with regular people. And you know what I mean? There's usually that bad. Whenever I've seen stuff like that, there's a lot of that barrier where the director thinks he's better than everybody else on the set. And, yeah, well, um, rule number one, you're not any better or worse than anyone else. We're all in this to create something right. good. And if uh, if you can't realize it, and you, the only way that you can you know, get your ideas across is to bully and to beat people up, then you know what? You should not be having the job that you have. Mm. You should be fucking, you know, on the street begging for change. That's my fucking opinion. Mm. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Uh, next up, I had my eyes on the next one, so I'll jump into it. Inglorious Bastards, the Quentin Tarantino film, which me personally, I'm not a Gigantor fan of uh, Inglorious Bastards. I think Tarantino is one of the best. One of the best living, for sure. Um, but uh, this this is one, probably one of my least favorite films of his. But supposedly uh, Eli Roth almost got killed during filming a, a theater scene when it burnt down because it got incredibly hot, you know what I mean? Uh, 1,200 degrees centigrade when it was only supposed to reach 400. If 15 more seconds had gone by, the structure would have collapsed with everybody in it. The scene nearly killed Eli Roth. Uh, your heart might be having racing during that scene, but when you see that thing come tumbling down on you, you know it's goat time. Now, this one's more of like an accident where I remember a few years ago there was talk of Kill Bill. On the set of Kill Bill, he kind of pushed Uma Thurman to do a stunt she didn't want to do, and she caught hurt. It was one of the driving scenes where the camera's behind her and they're driving down the road, and I guess the car wiped out. There was footage of it. So that's more of a choice of, like, I want it to look this certain way. But what this sounded like is, well, actually, I hate to say it because it does, you know, it does sound like, uh, sounds a little bit like our boy John Landis where they were like, I want more, I want more, one of those deals, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I understand from a director's point that you want everything to look great. You want to test the envelopes and all that. But again, as I said before, safety first number one, because, dude, that uh, 
when you start, you know, taking the risk with people's lives, I mean, it's it's uh, it's just a power trip, and 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 you you can't do that. You gotta have some major reins pulled back on you if, if you start pushing the envelope like that. That's just my personal opinion. And I don't think any of these directors are bad people. Like, I don't think QT is a bad dude for trying to get more and more and more. You know, I, I just think that they, it leaves a window. It creates a bigger window for an issue to happen, which I know that they're in the moment and they're like, I'm making history. You know what I mean? Let's just, if nothing happens, it's going to be the greatest thing of all time. You know, and it's that chance that they take that nothing will happen type deals. But, you know... It's one of those deals, you know what I mean? It's a tricky deal. But yeah, imagine Eli Roth dying on the set of Inglorious Bastards. Now, we were talking to somebody recently, and Eli Roth wasn't the first choice. Do you remember? Was it San? I think Adam Sandler. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Sandler was the first choice for that role. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I forget who we were talking to, but someone did uh, make a comment. And I have heard that in, like, another interview or something, that Adam Sandler was considered to uh, play Eli Roth's role. But uh, I think Adam Sandler was already, uh, like, uh, permission to do something else. and he was doing- I think I think he was doing funny people at the time. Okay. And... Uh, and unfortunately, because of that, he didn't do it. I would have loved, I mean, nothing against Eli Roth, but I would have loved to have seen Adam Sandler in that role. And as as if nothing else, what uh, the last few movies of Adam Sandler's uh, uh, so-called career that shows that he can really definitely do drama, and it would have been nice to see him in that role. I appreciate Adam Sandler to the fullest. And I have a bucket list. One of my bucket list movies, if I was allowed to make all the movies I wanted to make, I would love to make a dramatic film with Sandler. I think that'd be uh, great. I think we could do something really cool with that. Because I do, I think he can, there's places he can go that are really incredible, you know. You got like Uncut Gems, you got Punch Drunk Love. There's times when he's dipped into that dramatic element and he's been snubbed, I think, every time for that. Like, they don't want to give him respect, which is unfortunate because especially nowadays when the Academy Awards have become kind of the MTV Movie Awards, where it's like, back in the day, if you came in, you the new, new deal, you could make a masterpiece film, but if it was your first directing, your first feature film, or your first feature film that made it to the Academy Awards, they wouldn't give it to you, you know what I mean? For, you know, they always made people kind of almost like earn it, wait, you know, like play the game. Nowadays, I feel like, and it's probably been this way for the last, like, maybe five or ten years where it's just like you somebody and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but somebody could just pop up on the scene with their first film ever and it be it can get nominated and possibly even win an Academy Award. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, you know what I mean? But um the Academy Awards are weird because you still it's a toss up now. You have a bunch of new people against the OGs that are still kicking and making flicks. So it's kinda like a weird deal. Um I don't know. I feel like it should still be a little bit of a waiting period. Yeah, I think that these, and nothing against any of the films from the younger filmmakers, but I think that it should almost still be, I think while, you know, unless the, you know, while, while our legends are alive, we should continue to celebrate them if they do good work. You know what I mean? Like you'll see people pop off and do some good work that 
might not get an award because they have another one. You know what I mean? They had their moment, so to speak. It's like, yeah, it's not about moments. It sh- well, it is now, but it shouldn't be about moments. It should be about awarding the, you know, whoever deserves it type shit. Um, but Inglorious Bastards almost losing Eli Roth. You know, going back to Jaws, Eli Roth's pushing the big, uh, you know, stop killing sharks movement. You know what I mean? Um, so if if he died, if Eli Roth died in that fire, there'd be sharks dying off too, more sharks dying off. And that would suck. That'd be a bad thing. You know what I mean? And we got love for Eli because Eli is a fucking Massachusetts filmmaker. You know what I mean? Newton, Massachusetts, baby. Representing his brother Gabe. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? So with that being said, we're glad we ain't rest in peace in Eli Roth here. But we're getting into our last film, which is kind of a good deal. Volume 3 will end strong. You can all sing along to the tune of Dune. Film back in 1984, baby. David Lynch. You know what I mean? What a wild, weird choice for that. You know what I mean? Uh, the Stingman's in it. Not Stinger from the WC Dub, but Sting the Singer, baby. Sting the Singer. What do you think? Are you a big fan of the Dune? Well, I mean, it, I never really got into the Dune series. My dad actually was a big fan of the books, uh, so I knew about it through that. I mean, I saw the uh, the uh, the one that Lynch did that came out, and uh, and it was interesting. I mean, uh, it definitely isn't one of my favorite films, but I thought it was uh, interesting. I don't think it deserved the hate that it got uh, when it came out. Uh, but it was interesting. On this thing, it says that uh, the guild um, members uh, the uh, guild members, yeah. the, the guild members in, in the movie were seen wearing black suits, and they were actually made out of old body bags. Now, that within itself is quite, uh, quite unnerving. I mean, I'm hoping that they're not old body bags that were used. Well, expired <laughs> body bags. Old body bags that that were not used and 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 all that, but I think that's a kind of you know fitting for for the film and and the feel of it, especially if they uh, told the actors if they were wearing them to actually add to you know their characters would have been interesting. Yeah, I tell you, man, it's I'm with you on the on the hope they're not used. I assumed that uh, you never know, dude. It was a different time when the <laughs> the wardrobe person would probably just go and acquire every little thing that they could ever think they would ever want. Like when you work, when you're doing, that's probably a decent as far as it goes for that for that job. It's probably you you live in your dream. I'll say it again. You're probably living your dream if you're doing the wardrobe department, you know, heading the wardrobe department on Dune, you know, at that point, you're probably living your dream out. So you probably have a gigantic warehouse of just anything you could ever imagine. So when you stumble across a weird fabric or something, someone's getting rid of, you probably keep an ear to the grindstone for stuff like that. You could grab it. If they were, if they were used, (coughs) that's kind of wild too, but I assume that they, those used bags, they would have to be, You'd have to throw those out, I'd feel, because, like, people do all types of... Even when you're dead, your body still does certain things, you know what I mean? And you don't want that 
they're not going to wash them off. They're probably just peeling them, probably cutting them up, the people out of them, throwing them in a trash can, and that's it. You know what I mean? They get the biohazard bags. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think they would get. I don't think they would get used body bags. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're used. I that's mean, what they, they want you to think. That's what they want you to think. Yeah. Maybe that's why the movie is so bad. People hate that movie. <laughs> I seen it. I seen it once. Wasn't and I wasn't really even paying attention. One of those watches, and I never really watched it again. And uh, but I know that there's a lot of hate out there. I can't. I don't even know enough about it to hate on it. You know what I mean? But I do appreciate Lynch. You know, I think Lynch is one of he's more dude like uh I think that that was more of a more of an undertaking for him than he could have kind of creatively handled, I think. Yeah, I think he's better with the smaller films like Jim Jamush and such. I think those dudes and even like Darren Aronofsky, I think those dudes are best when they have like kind of a small indie deal that they can get like thirty million dollars or whatever to make like something that we would make you know what i mean but they're like masterful at doing it so they can do it great with that money and like i think that's where those people shine the most um but that yeah that's why the lynch deal because lynch has some shit that i really dig a lot but dune's not really one of them from my memory um yeah i don't know man i don't i wouldn't practice that you know you take you take into consideration curses and Poltergeist curses using real skeletons in the in the pool scene and when the when the when the floods and she goes in there and the skeletons are bobbing around. Those are supposedly real people's skulls uh, and, and 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 full bodies, body erectile bone. You know what I mean? Um, which is horrifying. It makes that scene a lot more creepier because you assume you throw those real bodies in that liquid for a couple hours. It's eventually going to turn into dead body soup. So you pop it, you, you bought, you know, no matter how they've been washed or whatever the fuck. And then you have to jump in there and jump around, splash around, screaming, getting that water in your mouth and stuff. I'm surprised she never got sick because when you really think about it, dude, I don't think those those people, whoever sold them, I don't know how, how they came about. You know what I mean? Who's to say with that? You know, if they, how they cleaned them up, if they gave them the old, if they just let them sit out in the rain until one day that was just bone that's it and if they threw him in a bag and if that's the case that's hard times there's going to be a little little leftover meat chunks at certain parts of that'll stick around for a little bit and then it goes into the bag now in the bag it can contaminate everything you know what i mean which is bad news you don't want to get involved with that and then you bring it back you know what i mean you put them you paint them they probably painted them up a little bit but the paint probably cooks, sucked some of the shit out of there, absorbed it, may pulled some of it out of the bone that was floating around in the pool. That's just bad news, dude. Now, we're going to close up the episode in just a few because Alexander Hawk is, uh, I just want, I thought I was going to have to call the ambulance for Alex Hawk because he laid down on the floor because he's so fucking tired. Uh, he um, I'm sorry, but you're talking about body bags and bones, and I just get, you know, awfully yeah, sleepy. You get turned on like Jay Dama when fuck I talk about them things. Anybody out there listening, check out the Jay Dama on, on the Netflix. The Jeffrey Dama miniseries is pretty good. Pretty good, I'd say. You know, I didn't agree with some parts of it, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the whole, you know, killing people and eating their flesh is okay. But, you know, him looking too good, that that's a little bit a step too far. 
There was a character, the neighbor character was really annoying, I felt. I know she's trying, the whole time she's trying to get the cops to pay attention to what's going on. Um, and like, the cops don't want to help at all. The cops don't look good in it. You know, you can tell that they didn't, they either just figured it would, you know. Well, the I, cops don't care. I mean, come on. And wrote it off. It's interesting. Yeah. And then the dude who killed him, I didn't, I didn't like the character that killed him either because. I felt like they were trying to make him a little cooler than he was. They made Dama look pretty sympathetic too, which was interesting. It's interesting that in a, in 2022, you watch everybody watches a miniseries about a dude who killed a bunch of people and like you're, you're rooting. Yeah, for and they're trying to make him uh, sympathetic. I mean, it's like you know these guys aren't sympathetic. Well, he was a victim for sure. He definitely, I do feel like he was a victim for sure. He had a bad upcoming and society well, kind of well, shitted on him. But there's a yeah. lot of people that have bad upcomings and sh- society shits on it that don't do that stuff. So it's not a good excuse for yeah. it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's one of those things that, I, I mean, you go and you look at any and all serial killers, they're not going to have a great upbringing. I mean, that's why they're as messed up as they are. But, I mean, again, you know, that's no fucking excuse. That's no excuse to be killing those people, eating them up. Alex Hawk, that's evil. I see what you do. I see that vat behind you, right there over your left shoulder. It's a miniature one, but inside a head smolders. Why, you want to come over? I can show you what's inside it. I'll be inside that thing if I go visit (laughs) you, you'll... You'll fucking clonk me on the head, shred me up, and put me some make a pulled pork sandwich out of me. Nah, nah. No, you wouldn't kill nah. me if you seen me in real person. You wouldn't kill me. No, no. I mean, heck, uh, you, you, you're so entertaining. It'd be a shame to kill you. I got those emails that you sent me. You sure? Uh, you weren't supposed to open up those emails. You told me how you're going to saute me up, dude. You're going to slice me from groin. With a nice Chianti. Chianti me up. That's kind of a good way for the Boombastic cast to end. I I would appreciate a big big Boombastic ending like that, where in in today's news, uh, there was a show called the Boombastic cast, and one of the co-hosts ate the other. We'll talk to you more about that at 11. You know what I mean? Uh. That way. I'm down with that. I can get down with that if you're down. So, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up our darkest onset, uh, you know, stories. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Uh, we hope somebody liked the bad ones, even if we didn't like them on the show. You know, don't let us stop you from liking them. But uh, this was a lot of fun. You know, three-parter, wham, bamboozle. We kind of like these miniseries directiony things where we kind of go the distance. So, you might hear some more of that. Alexander Hawk has fallen asleep. He is jet lagged. He is jet lagged, so I'll give him that. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Check out more Boombastic Cast wherever you heard this. And uh, check out the Boombastic Media YouTube page so you can watch videos of all the interviews. It's very fantastic. Some very fantastic stuff. And we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of What Cast Talk, man? The Boombastic Cast. The Boombastic Cast. Peace.